0: This is a GRDC podcast. A trial near Bolgart in WA is showcasing historic wheat varieties, allowing growers literally to look back in time to measure yield and genetic gains that wheat breeders have achieved over the past 50 years. Hello, I'm Deborah Bishop. The trial site features 48 varieties starting from the late 60s to early 70s up to the most recent varieties of two to three years ago. Some names you'll find very familiar, others maybe not so much. The trial includes bread wheat, clear field tolerant wheat and udon wheat varieties. One of the benefits of this trial is the evidence of vast visual differences. Some older varieties are much taller and prone to lodging. Then the move to dwarf varieties sees improved grain size, disease resistance, weight and crop height bringing with them harvesting changes over the years. The trial effectively is putting 21st century data behind yield improvements made over almost half a century. GRDC has a long history of investing in wheat breeding and pre-breeding over three decades including partnerships with wheat breeding companies. I caught up with AGT wheat breeder, Dion Bennett, about his trial's revelations over half a century.
1: So Historic Wheat Trial, which has been grown at our breeding home site near Bolgart, north of 2J in Western Australia, is characterising 48 key varieties from the last 50 years, from the 60s through to most recent releases. To determine what the rate of genetic gain has been for grain yield and other traits over the decades of breeding efforts. The trial includes bread wheat varieties but also looks at the segments of clear field tolerant varieties and udon wheat varieties.
0: So over 50 years there must have been some pretty key advancements in wheat varieties over that time. Can you take us through some of those?
1: Yeah, that's right. There's been since the Green Revolution, which introduced the semi-dwarf genes and rust resistance genes. There's been an improvement in agronomic plant types, so there's less propensity for lodging and yield losses that way. And it's been more incremental gains since then, small gains, consistent, but significant over time, roughly 0.8% per year, but also seen reduction in the risk of screenings through improved grain size, better test weights, management of disease resistance, and improvement in quality for end product users.
0: Now, we had a bit of a walk today through the trial plots here, of which there are many. (laughs) But what was really interesting to see the differences of the older varieties compared to those newer varieties, I mean, just the visual differences, obviously, and then we get down to the genetics, and those two are clearly now showing huge differences over those decades, aren't they?
1: Yeah, there's lots of visual differences out there, you've got a lot taller plant types before those semi-dwarf genes became more prevalent, you've got more frequent expression of the awnless characteristic, you've got brown chaff, there's lots of visual things in the trial in some of those older varieties and as you move through to the newer, more modern varieties, things settle down to that nice agronomic plant type that we use today.
0: So what are some of those historic older varieties that are featured here?
1: So, some of the oldest varieties we've got in there are varieties like Gemenya and Halbird, which were introduced and were quite popular for almost two decades with West Australian growers. Since then, there's been those incremental gains. There's been new varieties that have established the udon market that have been historic, things like Kalingeri through to Ninja and Zen. And some of the older varieties like Gemenya... A Howbird that were released in the 60s had that taller plant type but had a bigger propensity for lodging. So with the introduction of those semi-dwarf genes, we've moved away from those lodging types and harvest losses associated with that. And breeders have been able to focus on the incremental gains in grain yield over time. So we've gone through key landmark varieties like spear, kalingari through to wildcatchum and now Sceptre that have become the mainstay of most wheat programs across the state.
0: So what have been some of the standout varieties in the Australian market more recently for growers?
1: So over the last 20 years, we've seen varieties like wild Catchem really shift the yield benchmark with its broad adaptation, ability to handle most seasons. And all the breeding efforts from there have really stacked on top of that and added on top of it. So you've had big varieties like Mace, which shifted the yield benchmark across the state, and then the transition into Sceptre, which offered further yield gains and other little agronomic benefits over what we did have.
0: Now, a point of the trial, and an important one, is to put data on how yields have changed. Take us through that data collection and how that's going to be interpreted for growers in the field.
1: So, the trial's been grown at multiple sites across the state, and we've grown it for the last couple of seasons aiming to quantify these 48 different varieties grown under the same conditions, with the same treatment agronomically, through cedar setup, fertiliser treatment and so on, and compare things on an even playing field of where genetic gains for grain yield have gone over that 50 years of variety releases.
0: As a wheat breeder, it must be pretty exciting, though, to see those old varieties uh, coming through with the new varieties that we're seeing today and those genetic benefits that are attached to them.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's great to walk through the trial and have a look at some of these older varieties that are often great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents of today's leading varieties. And as breeders, you continue to build on top of those old foundations and add in new benefits for growers.
0: So with trials like this, what is the ultimate impact for the industry, the benefit for the industry overall?
1: So the aim of the trial is to really quantify and highlight the value that wheat breeding has for on-farm productivity.
0: And of course, through GRDC investment, scientists working in pre-breeding are assisting plant breeders in delivering crops that can better deal with variable farming environments and that the changing agronomic practices too, I suspect.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, GRDC invests heavily for the benefit of Australian growers into pre-breeding, which delivers to breeders better understanding of traits, better genetics of traits that we might not otherwise have access to and we're able to package them up with all the other things that you need to be a variety and deliver that to farmers' paddocks.
0: With this trial, what's its outlook at the moment?
1: We've got a few nice contrasting seasons of data across the state and we'll aim to produce an analysis that will quantify those differences across the years and give us a benchmark for the future going forward. So where are we up to? And I'm looking forward to delivering gains over the next 20 years.
0: Because I suppose it really is here a case of looking in the past to see what we're going to have in the future, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so look back, acknowledging what has delivered for growers and having to think about what we can do in the future to make sure that those benefits end up with growers still.
0: And, of course, increase yields.
1: Exactly. That's the number one. Yield is king.
0: Thanks, Dion. Appreciate you talking to us. Thanks, Deb. That was Dion Bennett, wheat breeder from AGT. We thank Australian Grain Technologies, AGT, for access to their Bolgart trial site and for their contribution to this podcast. More information can be found in the description box of this podcast. I'm Deborah Bishop, and thanks for listening.